Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I am the Forest. Thank you for joining us this week. I have a conversation with Lorraine Weiss. Lorraine has been on the podcast before. She is a deep soul, a deep well of knowledge. I always love talking to her. And you also might know her as a musician who's played on things like the Ram Dass record. Um, she played at our live show, sat in in Santa Fe. She plays the saxophone, does a lot of sound healing, does medicine work, has been doing internal spiritual work for many, many decades. And so it's it's like great to talk to her because we can tap into all of that experience and knowledge and listen to the crossover and there's always stuff to learn and it's just the sweetest thing in the world. So you're going to enjoy this as always. This is a great one. Uh, a few quick announcements. We added a few live dates, including some in Europe. Um, I mean, first up is going to be the Bottle Rock Festival, Napa Valley, California. Can't wait for that. That's May 26th through 28th. Uh, they've got Post Malone and Lizzo, Duran Duran, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Liz no- Little Nas X. I mean, it goes on and on. The National, Wu-Tang. I will be playing there as well. I uh, will be, uh, I think, on the Alliance stage, if I'm correct. Um, and I'll be playing earlier in the day, so get there early to catch my set. But that'll be fun. That's May 26th through 28th. And then we'll be back in Ireland for the Beyond the Pale festival june 16th through 18th looking forward to that and hopefully cross paths with my my dear friend john hopkins max cooper both been on the the show here Uh, and then dreamers land is in poland in august and we will be announcing a couple other dates in august in europe but right now we just announced london so i know that i wasn't able to come last november but i'm gonna i'm coming august 13th is the plan at uh in london england and that's going to be a joint show with Peter Broadwork. We're gonna we're planning to do a collaborative show in support of Burren, where we just improvise and do some of our classics at the same time. I've never done anything like that, but it's I'm so looking forward to it. It's gonna be magical. So that's August 13th, and then the Ramdas uh, Summer Retreat is August 24th through 28th, uh, and of course we'll be at Esalen. Around 4th of July weekend, that's sold out, but we're going to come back in December. So go over to eastforest.org, check out the tour dates, and sign up for the newsletter if you want to know when tickets and retreats and stuff happen, and we will let you know right away. You can also always follow us on social media and uh, all that kind of jazz. And for our new listeners, um, if you are new, welcome. And I encourage you to go back into the back catalog of this this podcast. We are over 250 plus episodes at this point, and everything is evergreen. Um, so you can, there's such amazing uh, individuals and conversations that have gone on for the last, what is it, five years or more. We've been doing this weekly show. Uh, so everyone, I encourage you to go back. Sometimes we highlight some of that back catalog with the quote best of releases. And they're not, it's not that there's, you know, one's better than another. It's just like memories from the past. Um, you can do that at any time and always dive back in. And this Friday, May 5th, I'm excited that I am releasing a a new song with our dear friend Anna. And Anna's got her, it's her first solo album that she's released in her career. It's coming out of Mercury KX. And there's a collaborative track that we worked on together. And I think it's the last song on her album. Um, It's it's coming out this Friday, the single. It's really good. (laughs) It's a really jammy, groovy, like spring into summertime vibes i can't wait for you to hear it 
and I'm um, looking forward to hopefully bringing Anne on the show to tell you more about her wild world and her artistry. Um, but so new music coming this Friday. And of course, thank you to all our friends on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash East Forest. That is the council. The East Forest council is, there's lots of ways to get engaged, but it's just a great way to support this podcast and the project in general. In, in any way, like if, if you don't even care about like what the rewards might be, if you want to support, check it out. Um, it might be a good doorway in. But I get to share um, live recordings there, like some stuff I just did at Tree Fort or demos, and sometimes we do other fun things. Of course, we do our monthly Zoom council, and uh, that's coming up tonight as I record this. Uh, but uh, that's patreon.com slash East Forest. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and I uh, hope you're having a good spring as things are springing forth in these crazy, turbulent, evolving, blossoming times. But let's get into this wonderful conversation with our old friend, Lorraine Weiss. Lorraine Weiss, thank you so much for uh, connecting. Good to see you. Krishna, great to see you. Yeah, yeah. Um, last time I saw you was in your neck of the woods when we were on tour in Santa Fe and had the wonderful pleasure of having you grace us on stage. And we got to do a little music during the ceremony concert. That was awesome. I don't get to do that much. That was awesome. Oh, it was. I was blown away by how great it was. So yeah. it was amazing for me. And you and I have a jam that happens that I really, really love. Yeah. It's effortless. If people haven't heard, you've been on the podcast before, and I love our our last episode we did. It's probably a couple years, several years back. Um, actually. Many years back. Yeah, now that I think about it, that was a while ago. Because you, I mean, I don't want to repeat that whole story. I would just, I actually highly recommend people go listen to that episode. Uh, but the short of the long is, you were in southern Utah by a whole twist of fate. And then we did some recording that we ended up using in the Ram Dass album. And you play the soprano saxophone on the songs Love Everyone. Is it Love Everyone or Love Everybody? I, I forget now. It's Love Everyone, I think. Love Everybody. Love Everybody. Love, I don't everybody. know. Yeah. <laughs> and also the song called Americle. And then I ended up also sampling that last podcast and using it on the record possible the song tabula rasa so people might put the pieces together here yeah Yeah. and then and then we did some music live on the tour which was a blast and uh the last thing i'll add just for all the the deep fans background here uh soon there'll be an episode with uh ivy ross and Susan Magsamen, who wrote this amazing book about the brain and art, and you introduced. Well, I met you through IV, um, so that's just more connections. Yeah. Well, and the amazing thing for me, I don't, I don't think we talked about this last time. Was the whole? I didn't really know what the project was when I was going to Utah. And really? Rompass, <laughs> no, you kind of wasn't quite out in the open yet, I don't think. Okay. And Ramdas has always been, you know, like, I think one of the most incredible, influential, best teachers of our times. And I have a lot of very weird, synchronistic, 
connections to him too. And then when I got to Utah and found out it was the Ramdas project, it was like <laughs> that that was just another miraculous thing. Yeah. Um, how did I drag you out there without explaining that it was, I don't know. I don't remember. It was probably 2018, 2019 when we did that. But it's probably 2019. I think the, we jammed on the toy Casio. You played the little... <laughs> At your place, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I well, I guess I should say I was out there uh, staying at uh, you live at Ivy's house in outside Santa Fe, and I was coming out there to stay in the guest house when we met. And she has this other building that is filled with um, sound healing paraphernalia and <laughs> of all kinds, amazing stuff. And so we went out there to play some music, and we saw our mutual love for the ability of sound and music to crack you open. Okay. And one of the wonderful things about Ivy Ross is that she's a, like a magical connector of people. And yeah. so if she tells me there's somebody I need to meet, I will go far to meet that person. <laughs> we only and, had to go about 10 feet out your front door. Yeah, and I no, I, I, you know, and here's this little toy piano and said, let's jam. And it was so instant and so profound. I don't connect, get to connect that deeply with people musically that often out here. So yeah. if you would have invited me to the North Pole, I probably would have gone. <laughs> Found a way That's to go sweet. There. So, Didn't you say, how are you still playing music for the horses? Because last time I saw you said you were doing that at sunrise or sunset. You know, COVID for me was such a huge reset when things locked down because I'd been working nonstop seeing people out here for the journeys for years and years and years. And I knew I was working too much, but I, you know, it's hard to say no to people that you know you're going to make a difference with or this work yeah. makes a difference with. And so when COVID happened, I was booked out like three months in advance. And, you know, the lockdown had to just stop everything, which for me was really a blessing because I knew I was working too much. And, and I started... First off, I realized how really lucky I was to live in a place in nature. And no matter what was happening in the world and how traumatic it was when it first happened, I just had this knowing that I needed to be out at the sunset. Yeah. And I needed to be grateful every day. So I started going out at sunset and playing the sax, just getting myself into this state of gratitude and intention not to let a single sunset ever go by where I didn't get into that state in some way. So I, I just mm. started playing and, you know, I figured I'm just playing for myself and to be in that space. And it's pretty, you know how remote it is out here. Neighbors are pretty far away. And I started getting emails from my neighbors going, <laughs> oh, thank you for playing. You know, it really calms us down. And the neighbor closest behind us wrote and said, I, there's a big fence, so I can't really see anything. He said, um, I just want you to know that as soon as you start playing, my horses come up to the fence and prick their ears up and listen the whole time you play. Mm -hmm. and, oh my God, that, that's the coolest audience I've ever had. Yes, and I, yes. I could hear, then I could hear them. I could hear they, you know, certain songs they liked more, others they didn't. And, um, and I just felt this need to play for the horses every night. And I don't think I, the first year, I don't think I even missed a night, no matter how cold it was. And and it's become one of my main practices, not only bringing me into a state of gratitude, but kind of, 
you know, some nights neighbors will call and go, oh, that was so beautiful. Sometimes for weeks, nobody will call. Sometimes it's freezing. But it's kind of like whatever you put out into the world, you know, it's it's received in some way. You're offering, whatever that was. And even though I'm doing it for myself, you know, I started calling it the, first I was calling it the gratitude concerts. Then I started calling it the the horse concerts. So it's kind of stayed the horse concerts and... I was out there last night in the freezing cold till my fingers wouldn't work. Equine. Yeah. Equine concerts. become yeah. very, It's a, an important practice for me. Mm. Just, you know, the sunset and putting something out there. Do you think uh, you'd still do it if you had never gotten the feedback that the horse's ears pricked up or that the neighbors were like, we like this too? Because, yeah, I, I had a similar starting point with my own music way back 15 years ago about it was just for me. And anything else was just gravy, but in some ways, of course, it feeds itself when other people are like, "Hey, I'm I'm feeding off this too," but it's good to you know that original intention is important. Like that's the seed of the, exactly. the gratitude and the creativity. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'd still be doing it because you know most people now it's freezing. Most people aren't out there. I don't even know if the horses are out there all the time, but it's you know I. I'm basically selfish. Everything I do is for me, in a sense. And if for some reason it touches other people, that's the icing on the cake. I think to do it for that reason almost defeats the purpose of having your own practices. So, yeah, I'd be doing it no matter what. Unless people really complained heavily, which so far... Yeah, usually when you get those emails, it's like, oh, no, you know. (laughs) I can hear the saxophone playing, and I love it. Do you know who Gato Barbieri is? He was a great sax player in the 70s, 80s. Um, Really great sax player. And his neighbors in New York sued him. You know, because he'd be playing at times when they didn't want to hear music. So, See, that's New know. York. That's so New York, you know. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. But I respect the silence, too. You know, it, it's like I don't play too long. And if anyone did complain, you know, I would probably change my M.O. or go to a different part. But, you know, it, as long as it's okay with the neighbors and the horses, I'll keep playing. Right on. Well, wherever I am. So. So tell me a bit about, uh, so we also, we also discovered that we both have this background of exploring music shamanically and music as a way of guiding people, uh, through, through journeys. And, um, you've been working in that space off and on for a long time. And to me, like the way I got into that was music. Like it was really just like self-discovery of music itself and and what about it helps and doesn't help and as you know 98 percent of it was just the music really besides the vibe you know that you're creating yeah. and a few questions um tell me a bit about that discovery process for you like how did you find yourself on that path and what role did music play well again you know i got into the journey work for purely selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't planning on doing it for anybody else. This was 30 years ago. Mm. So, you know, it it was almost completely unknown, at least ayahuasca, and it was not even close to how it is now. 
it was like kind of the the pioneers were starting out back then. There wasn't a a big container for it. That's right. And I was a professional musician in L.A. and my body, which has been my great gift in having to change my life and stop and start and turn and deconstruct, was falling apart. And I knew I needed to change my life. I didn't want to be in smoky bars anymore. And the ayahuasca journeys presented themselves. And I had no idea what it even was. 30 years ago? 30 years ago. You found yourself... uh, Can we just start there? Because I discovered around 15 but that's when it was coming into the sphere of you know there was an article in rolling stone and but 30 years ago it was way before yeah how did that even cross paths with you you know grace i guess when i look at it now sure um, what was the ayahuasca yes (laughs) yeah i mean i'm working musician in la everything that entails and um a friend of mine started going away on weekends with her husband and doing something slightly secretive. And I think we talked about this a little bit, and I saw her change. You know, I go, what are you doing? Whatever it is, it's really cool. She goes, well, it's it's uh, plant medicine. And at that time, I really wasn't into anything like that. I had done LSD in the 60s. I had been around people using way too many drugs and alcohol. And so I was kind of anti-everything yeah. substance. And I went, oh, well, that, that's great, but I'm not really interested. And then I kept seeing her change over a period of time. And I finally said, yeah, I, I want to try this, whatever. Because I was at a crossroads with my body. My hip was wearing out. I couldn't really be on stage in the way where I was comfortable. And... Uh, I went and did my first journey, and it was absolutely exactly what I needed, life-altering. It had me face my body and know that I couldn't keep going the way I was going, and that a lot of the ideas that I had around that were pretty rigid, and it it just opened everything for me. Who who led that journey? Was it indigenous, or how did that no, go? No, absolutely not, and that's what I really liked about it in the sense the the person who had the it was actually a retreat center and was very much uh, white anglo-saxon spiritual seeker but it was very western and his teacher had been a peruvian shaman with a phd in western psychology so the whole wow wow yeah Mm. and and even the the medicine was different it wasn't the purging stuff and, well, what, what is that? Where they get them? Did they make it, or had, they had the probably they at that it. point they they would have to though the actual ayahuasca vine. Yeah, and so the Peruvian shaman, his family were all, you know, indigenous shaman at some point, but he developed a formula that he had made down there that was in capsules. It was not the usual drink and purge. And we used a combination of psilocybin and other things on various occasions, but the energy of it was definitely the ayahuasca, the mother. And I realized that I wanted to learn everything there was about this. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm pretty much, I'm going one direction, then all of a sudden something else presents itself. That's what happened to me. 
Yeah, yeah I think it probably happens to a lot of people. Yeah, it's, right. like, it's so profound, you know, it's yeah. like, wait a minute, I, no, I thought I had this figured out. Yeah, Yeah. no intention, you know, and to this day, I never had an intention to work with people. You know, yeah. I was doing this yeah. for my own healing, my own, you know, awakening evolution. And I figured I'd go back to being a musician, you know, full-on L.A. musician at some point. But it was so dramatic a change for me that I ended up letting go of my whole life, my rent control department on the beach in Santa Monica, my musical career, if you want to call it that, where probably would have started taking off a whole lot more if I would have stayed there. And moving to the retreat center, where for three years, that's all I did. All we did, there was a group of about five people. And people would come, there were big groups back then, for some reason, it was like the first journey I did was a group of probably 30 people. And a lot of what I learned is, is from what not to do and what isn't as effective. As yeah, like it's, that's people. in some no ways, what else is there to learn, right? It's like, yeah, yeah I, a little side note, I just came back from Mexico and I was doing an interview for the documentary we're working on with Xochitl Ashe, who's a, a Peruvian Mexican uh, psilocybin uh, indigenous uh, she doesn't like calling herself a shaman, but yeah, you, know, you get. What, yeah. Why? Why can't I speak? Um, <laughs> she works with psilocybin, and she was saying, like, uh, in their tradition, uh, you're initiated by the medicine itself. You know, I mean, that's the primary teacher, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and I think a lot of that learning is through experience. Of course, a lot of that stuff, it's difficult to put into, to quantify, to say, well, it's this or it's this particular thing you learn. It's so, it's just, you know, these energies and, but you do learn on a fundamental level what not to do. Uh, that's almost very like terrestrial in a sense. And you could, that starts to piece together methods. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that didn't happen. I was just in the experience for three years. Yeah. Where, you know, every weekend there'd be, we'd do our own journeys. There was like four or five of us that lived there. Or groups would come at least a couple times a week. Or I ended up sort of being the shaman's assistant and traveling all over the country doing groups. And still, it was for my own learning. You know, you learn so much being in that space and sitting with people. You know, how... In, in like regular life, how unless you're a therapist or something, when do you really get to be with people at that depth? You know, I was a musician, and in some way, the people that you play with, you play from that depth. But just to sit with people and kind of understand how energy works and how consciousness works. And I mean, that's why when I see all the teachings that happen, you know, there's no substitute for just the time spent in altered states and around altered states. And music is definitely an altered state. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have that background. And luckily, the, the person who was the shaman was really into music and put together pretty amazing playlists for 30 years ago, you know, because there wasn't that much kind of journey music back then, but there was a lot of good music that is could be used in the journey space. 
so that that deepened it even more for me so that when I did start using music myself with people, I had like 40 years of collecting stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know what what kind of music resonates, what part of the body, what part, what kind of music takes you deeper, what's too expansive, what's too jarring. Um, I never used words in, in my journey because I noticed, you know, in the journeys at the retreat center, any t- no matter where I was in my own journey, if words in English came up, I'd yeah. you know, write to it. Different part and, of your brain. Yeah. 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 So and and it's useful. Like I saw what you were doing with Ramdas in the, you know, the ceremony space. Really beautiful. You know that. But that's a hybrid too. Like I didn't make the Ramdas album thinking this would be used in ceremonies. Like when I was playing ceremonies, a I'm improvising, and b uh, it's there's really no words. It's just the music because that makes yeah. sense to me. But other people. Some people use some of those songs, like I'm Loving Awareness in Journeys. And I was like, well, you know, more power to you, whatever works for you. But um, I, I do want to ask you, though, when or how much have you seen the difference between bringing in live music, whether it's a saxophone or tuning forks or a bowls or, or shakers or anything, uh, versus recorded music, pre-recorded music? You know, for me, and when I started doing it, you know, and like I said, I never planned on it. People that knew me from kind of sitting in the ceremonies 30 years ago, back then started to ask me if I do journeys. And at first I said, no, that's not what I do. I'm a musician. I'm taking a little break. But, you know, when sort of like my belief is kind of to really look at what's being offered rather than not what I want. And so, you know, enough people kept showing up going, you know, would you do a journey for us? Or, and um, I had still no intention. And I ended up, one of my friends who stayed in the circle after I left said, well, talk to the Peruvian, you know, and I did. And he said, oh, yeah, you should, you should lead journeys. I'll help you. I'll give you, you know, it was like, he gave me his blessing 30 years ago, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so all of a sudden I could do that. And, you know, music has been the through line of my life, like I'm sure with you, you know, prior to this, that no matter what you're doing, that's been one of the loves and passions and driving forces in some way. So I had these many, many songs, playlists and stuff that I ended up using. And one of the things that happened to me at the hot springs during the time I was taking all the plant medicine was I put away all my instruments except for soprano sax. And I think we talked about deconstructing last time we talked. And I just went out in this these beautiful natural places and felt like I was playing for the earth and kind of letting go of everything I'd studied and learned just playing long tones and trying to get this like one true resonance where there was no me involved in some way, just tones and sound. And so that's the kind of music I was playing when I left. But I used recorded music because I felt like, I mean, there's so much projection that can happen in the journey space. And so one of my intentions and what I had seen happen with too many of the shaman is there's way too much of them in the space, Mm -hmm. you know, in in the sense of 
um, there's enough transference and, you know, it's like you're giving people something that's going to change their lives. And for me, I didn't want that much of me in the space. So I, I never played in the journeys themselves, but I'd play in the integration because that was usually uh. a sound integration. You know, we'd, the next morning, you know, we'd go into the sound room and do a kind of a sound session and then I would play. And that was, you know, such a profound integrative thing. But the whole time, and and I kind of, like I said, I stopped during COVID. I haven't started again. And if I do, I may use live music. Well, it, it makes I'm sense done. to me. I, I look, you do it anyway, whatever works. But I feel like that idea you were talking about of these pure tones and playing maybe to and from the earth, this is to me what's so beautiful in that space is you being a vehicle for what's happening in the moment and it in and, and it's being transferred out through sound especially what's so cool about an instrument like the sax is that it's a breath instrument it's just so connected to the body that way so just literally like your prana is making sound i used to play soprano sax i think i told you and like i you regret know. that i sold it yeah yeah <laughs> I, I used to play in um, Pick it up. up. I know. I want to buy one. I had an alto, and then eventually I bought a soprano. I it was take. I had a teacher, and uh, I remember in college I was stupid. I was like, "Oh, I need some money," and I sold my soprano. I think I even sold it for like four hundred bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the hardest of the woodwinds to play and play in tune and and have a good tone on. You know. Yeah. I, I seem I to get my amateur back. And then I could do, I know the fingering and stuff. Um, I know I could yeah. get into it. It's, it's just getting my mouth into it. My lip, really. Getting your head into it. That's, uh... Yeah. But but yeah. I th I think it'd be so cool. I mean, that to me is when, anytime I've played in that space, it's an, of course an ebb and flow and it comes in waves. But when you feel like it's something else playing through you like that, the mushroom or whatever it is playing with you or for you, um, that's such such a cool honor and, and process that it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's interesting to me because the work I'm doing now, you know, I've stopped doing the journeys. Just Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's unknown if I will do it again, but I'm doing a lot of work with sound. Yeah. And what I believe is available, especially for people like that have spent time in the journey space, you embody that. You know, that that space is something that you can transmit with your being with without anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a sense. And music is such a, a incredible consciousness altering tool with or without any kind of medicine. And right. so for me to to be able to open that space for people just using sound. Maybe people who haven't even done that much consciousness work or spiritual work that, you know, it's so close and available to anyone. That's what's really interesting to me now that, you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of I think you've reminded me of the great Alan Watts quote, you know, when you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> that that's kind of where I feel I am these days and. You know, I, th I think what's interesting to me is being able to help people or facilitate 
accessing very expanded states of consciousness just by embodying that, whether through music or words or, you know, there's so many modalities you can use, that that's what's really, um, for me, cutting edge in my own practices. Like, yeah, well, you've always been punk rock. You were doing ayahuasca 30 years ago, so now when it gets like publicly traded with companies, you're like, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. You know, <laughs> it's like, I, that, that's really true for me. Plus 30 years, you know, it, it's like, that's a long time to be doing any one thing. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, talk about the, the through line in life is music, but it's always been consciousness too. Right. You know, I was reading spiritual books when I was, 14 and 15. I was taking LSD when I was 15. And it was really to to find God or to find that that connection, that oneness. You know, that that's always been there. And so it's almost like when things become so public and so mainstream like this is becoming, it's like, okay, consciousness. Where where is consciousness? There's all the medicine stuff that's happening. But for me, what what's the shift in consciousness that is available through kind of not only how much of this is out in the collective, but the evolution of it all? And I see a lot of repeating in the psychedelic stuff, you know, that doesn't interest me. Yeah, you know, tell me more about that. Like, what do you think is being maybe lost or is the message being lost these days a bit or deluded? Or diluted. Well, yeah, I mean, I I guess I've been lucky to be around at the beginning of a lot of great movements, you know, because mm-hmm. in the 60s, I was, I was like 15 when I took LSD. That was like 1965. And there was really no container for it. You know, there was Timothy Leary saying, you know, tune in, turn on and drop off, drop out. Mm-hmm. And but there was no big understanding that the, some of the experiments had been started, but they were pretty clandestine and not out, not open to the public. Right. So, you know, we were having these amazing. I, I took LSD and surfed, you know, we'd be out in nature. It wasn't in, in a sense, it wasn't recreational because we all had a great reverence for it. My, my surf crowd and, you know, a bunch of young kids. But yet there was no, I don't even think integration was a word back then, you know, or. Just for the audience, we're not recommending you go swimming and take psychedelics, no, but you know, I, people I, have I'm done this, but we're not, like we're not that. endorsing any activities that are illegal or no. dangerous, but that also sounds amazing for you. <laughs> you know, surfing it, and. It was, and I was still the same, you know, angst ridden teenager that all teenagers are because, you know, again, there was. There were no guides. There, there were no. Right. It's facilities. an amplifier too, in a sense. And you need yeah. someone, like you said, you need elders. You need a, a, a ceremony as a kind of container or practice. It holds exactly. a guide. That's a guide in itself. Exactly. And intention. I mean, we, our intention was to, you know, expand our consciousness and have a great time, and um, which happened. And also, totally opened doors in consciousness for me, even back then, that are still there. You know, like the experience of oneness surfing and things that I feel very lucky to have experienced, but it didn't really touch any of my own personal um, psychological things that probably needed to be healed even back then or understandings. 
And so I see a lot of that now because a lot of, you know, it, it's almost like it's heading into the two clinical, which takes out all the amazing opportunities for unexplainable, mystical God experiences. Magic. And I, I say God, yeah, the magic. And and I use God in a, um, I can use any word there, but it kind of works for me just because, you know, everything, all that is, oneness, consciousness. But you could substitute any word for that. And I think, on the other hand, there's the too indigenous, too shamanic, too ungrounded, where there are these incredibly epic, you know, rock your world kind of experiences that don't really translate into your moment-to-moment life and touch the, you know, whatever. I, I think the psychological aspect is really important. Not all of it, but, you know, you've got to do your mommy-daddy stuff to some degree. Yeah, it's almost like the psychological is like you've got the 3D here, regular waking life, and then the psychological, and then out further out on the spectrum is like the total cosmic smeared, which is has value, of course. It's almost ununderstandable. Like the journeys, you're like, I don't even, I couldn't even see if I could remember all that, you know? It's so out there. And well, it's you, you just start thinking about for ongoing work, like are we? what kind of work are we doing? Yeah, and I, I think... You know, that that's a lot what I've seen. I mean, a lot of times when people would come out here, they'd have this beautiful experience. And um, the question would be, when can I come back? Yeah. It's like, you, you just did enough to work on for the rest of your life, in a sense. And so it, it, it's almost like, you know, it's all good. You know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, this, this shouldn't happen, that shouldn't happen. But... When I hear, most of the time when I hear people talk about the journeys they've had, you know, it, it's like, well, that's nice, but are you a better father or husband or, you know, have you made peace with your mother? You know, and, and so much of the time that doesn't, it pales next to the epicness of things that don't integrate into your daily life in a way that, you know, make you a better human being or make right. you more at peace. You know, it, it's, it's like you said about your original impetus for exploring this at all uh, was your friend. Like, what's working for you? What's going on? That's the old Terrence McKenna things. Like, you you can't argue anyone into any of this stuff. It's like just make if if your life is going well, people will be curious. And if if you're interested in like that being uh, an advertisement, it's just like is your shit together and are things working for you in that way? Like, are you are you exuding love and things 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 are clicking? Yeah, I mean, what what is your offering moment to moment? You know, because the it, it's almost like the the peak experiences are awesome. You know, they happen, they're grace. But then, you know, when you're somebody you love dies, or you have a shattering relationship breakout, or you know, how how do you access that place of peace and more of a bigger picture of it all so that you live from that rather than just thinking it needs to be good all the time. You know, when people microdose, it's almost like there there are times when, you know, things are just challenging. And to just take something to get through that 
you know, for me, when I see what's happening, that that's one of the things where we think we're entitled to feel good all the time. And I don't know that that's true. You know, you, you can have a, a connection to something deep and unchanging. And that's something I believe is there for all of us, with or without plant medicine. And it, it, it really is close and a breath away in any moment if you create the practices that have you access that. But then that doesn't mean that you're not going to feel sad or pain or, you know, be unhappy at the state of the world. It just means you, you have ways to go into something deeper than trying to change it with a external, whether it's Valium or microdosing or um, anything external. Do you, you think know? it's? Do you think the name of the game then is about? I know Ram Dass used the word witnessing a lot, but I'm trying to think of different words to use, even for my own understanding somewhat of accepting, but maybe it's almost like a connective tissue you're keeping more alive and strengthened to the all that is, to the all good. Uh, so it's like that is coexisting at all times. If not, I always like see it almost like it's holding it all. Um, you know, the, you might call it love, the great mother, God. It's like you can't be outside of that. Yeah. All that other stuff is inside it, and it just is. It's just like you're held in the womb, and that's that's that, and it's it's that feeling. It's a feeling thing, certainly more than a thinking thing, at least for oh, me. Absolutely, and and yeah. that's what I think the plants have given us, or the medicines have given us, is when you really integrate and really have an intention to to stay with the consciousness. It's in your cells. So, you know, and consciousness is everything. It's not just the good stuff. You know, it's totality. So when you sit with that, it means you're sitting with, you know, the horror of the world and the unspeakable beauty that's always there, too. And you're not trying to just get away from things, which is sometimes how one of the ways I think medicines are being overused, the plant medicines. Getting like away. Microdosing. Yeah. Mm. In, instead of... You know, I, I've been in situation, I was in a dance class. I, I was doing a Zoom great dance class where you just feel great the other day. And afterwards, the teacher comes over and, and one of the women, you know, people are from, you know, Hawaii and Canada, all over the world in these dance classes. And this one woman said, oh, that was so great. I just microdosed and it, it was awesome. And, you know, for me, it's like, there, there are so many incredibly beautiful things in life, you know, and we're greedy. We want to make them better. We want to have them be all the time. And I mean, that's great if you can do that. But to start to rely on, again, external things to make things even better than they already are, which is amazingly magnificent if you're present to it, you know, that I think that's another way that things are being misused in the psychedelic realms. What if it's more intentional in the sense that, like, let's say you are going through something really intense, like the death of a loved one or a divorce, and you're feeling like, I need help. And in the same way, some people might take an antidepressant and hopefully as a bridge to get, I don't know, let's just say it's they're, they're like, I, I want to take this for a few months until I can just get a hold of myself. What if it was that way? Or do you think, where's the line for you? 
personally with microdosing? Or do you feel like, look, there's a particular message that can be work that can be done here. So it's either like, look, dive in and let's do the work. Let's not dilly dilly around. Beware the underdose, as Mr. McKenna would say. Well, yeah, and you know he he's also the king of the heroic dose. I don't the, like that whole heroic dose thing. Yeah, so so that's part of the culture too. You know, the yeah. chattering elves or whatever it was, where you know machine that, elves and and that's, that's, why that's I, why I'm on a, a McKenna face. bent. Yeah, the culture is not your friend. Culture is not your. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, I mean, there's so much crazy stuff that it, for me, 30 years and, and the 60s, looking back even that far, yeah, you know, there's so many things that are just irrelevant, you know, that were considered important at the time and even considered important to me at the time. Mm. You know, that that's why I think, you know, one of the things I'm seeing with even a lot of the really good, famous teachers is that, you know, they become their brand and they can't change. So... You know, I don't know what I said on that podcast four years ago, but I'm not even sure I would believe it today. You know, well, when you say that, it gives me chills because I'm like, boy, do I need to pay attention to that? You know, I it, personally, I, I really do. I, I think we all do, it's and especially deal. teachers or you know, people who have the the public ear in some way. You know, and because one of the things, and I, I'm sure Ram Dass has said it some way, you know, is about examining your thoughts. And your beliefs and, you know, even in the movement, the things like listening to Terrence McKenna, you know, that was considered important, the heroic dose. And when I was at the retreat center, it was like, oh, yeah, he can't hold the medicine. You know, it was like taking more. And what I've seen, which is more of a feminine, and, and I don't think there's enough women leading journeys, you know. True but that. Even the ones that are, they're trained by men. You know, you have to go away from it all. You have to step away from it all and then find your own way, I think. You know, and it's it's by your own exploration with or without the the medicines. But um I just lost my Well, I love well, you're totally right on, you know, more feminine but the well, that too, but you're right about the more female voices and it's like how do you break outside the patriarchy at all? Perhaps the only way is to, is to work with the medicine itself and, and, and try to cultivate the feminine in all of this, because you're absolutely right. And the, the feminine is totally changeable. You know, it can be erratic even. And that's why, you know, I have to constantly go, well, I was teaching that three years ago. Do I still believe it today? And sometimes not. You know, sometimes I see it a little different. Or I say, oh, that was a little incomplete understanding that I had at the time. Hmm. And, you know, and I think especially in psychedelics, because people are so suggestible in that field, you know, and some of the things that were being are being taught, you know, even a couple of years ago may not be as relevant now, you know, and, and I'm sure it's going to change. Like they're finding they're studying science is even doing, you know, studies on all these things. But it, it's it's like with microdosing. And I think the whole, it's kind of for me back to that concept of, you know, you can, and I understand, you know, clinical depression or, or things that are beyond just um, working with yourself or working with your own consciousness. There are, there are definitely condition and pathologies that 
where something more is needed. But I think for most people, we're just lazy. You know, we're, we're lazy, we're entitled. We think we get to be happy all the time. And I mean, I think there's an undercurrent of joy that can happen. You know, it's, it's finding that place to rest where no matter what happens in your life, you can be sad, you can be devastated by things that happen, but yet that's available to you. But I also understand there are some people that don't have that, and it may be that that's where, you know, even antidepressants and things can be useful, which yeah. I'm not an advocate of. But what I see st now that I'm sort of stepping away from this for a couple of years is that we we have it all. We have access, especially those of us that have, you know, explored and experimented in psychedelic realms. We have access to consciousness, to awakening, to kind of the all that is in ways that doesn't require continuing, you know, exploring just to where you're sort of circling around and around. And not really knowing that, you know, it, it's all in you. You have it. It's a breath away. It's the intention to reset in every moment. And that that's another way that I see kind of the misuse of everything in our culture. Or the you know? overuse. I, I love the idea of circling around because it's a great way of thinking about, like, if you're taking that metaphor of being inside the mother like think of it like a big sphere of all that is and you're just spinning around in the same place it's like there you know we all know people who naturally understand this have never touched a psych dog never will and they're just there's just a knowing in them it, it you see it in a lot of motherhood uh, you see it in all sorts of ways, all sorts of ways. Um, it's just, it's, it's sort of the naturalness of what is. There's nothing to do, nowhere to go. Uh, it just is. And it's an acceptance of that and a, a certain knowing that might not even be intellectually understood. I think most of it is beyond intellectual knowing. Yeah. I mean, you have to, like with the psychological stuff, you have to have a little bit of a grasp on what patterns are running your life or what the imprints you've inherited from your ancestors and lineage. But then it's just being with it in that profound way that is the journey space, you know, that, mm. that is the deepest opportunity of those kind of expanded states is being able to embody that consciousness mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, without ever taking another plant, that it's in your cells and you, you know, when people talk about the rewiring, it's in your nervous system in a way that you can access that no matter how wound up and in your head you get. You, it's a remembering that. Mm. And for me, integration, which, like I said, wasn't even a word back when I was doing the bulk of my stuff. I mean, it was a word, but, you know, it, it's almost like my integration Basically, the bulk of my exploring was many, many years ago. I haven't done any kind of plant medicine in at least 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that's been the integration for me because it's like, okay, what am I left with? You know, and how can I at any moment settle into that space? 
and and music really does it for me. You know, I I, I, I am that way. channel. Yeah. You know, when I play, but just in daily life or talking to people, and a lot of my work now is working with people on the phone, and you know, or there's now even a word, an integration therapist, which I hadn't heard till recently, but a lot of times. I'll get calls from people who want to know if I'll work with their friend who had a bad journey in somebody else's circle. And, you know, usually the the people who have trouble bringing what they experienced in the journey into their lives are places where there aren't a lot of integration. You know, maybe there's a closing circle in the morning. So one of the things I've been doing is working with people, integrating big experiences like that. And, you know, it it takes a while, even if it's not a challenging thing. Like I said, for me, I'm still integrating my journeys of years ago, you know, and life is an integration in a sense of... Of being born. <laughs> of being born, yeah. And rather than continuously reaching for the epic experiences, you know, how do, how do you make the mundane? How do you have your daily life? come from that space, you know, without needing microdosing or, and again, I'm not talking about the real therapeutic uses of it, but, you know, the the overuse of substances in the culture, in the psychedelic circles. I mean, when I was first journeying, we'd do a journey at least once a month, and then maybe a private journey in between then. And then I'd be sitting in ceremony spaces practically every night of the week you know i realized when i left you know everybody back then was so unintegrated into you know how how does this really work or how what what are the real possibilities of these amazing plants these offerings you know and i think that's what's starting to open up now and you know again we're back to the finding the balance and the too clinical, too shamanic, you know, and much longer periods of integration, I think. Yeah. What's the, another Ram Dass quote that's great was like, he was kind of saying like always getting high, you're essentially going away from something that doesn't feel good. And I believe it was his embodied teacher, Emmanuel, who said, you know, if you think of life as a, a school or a campus, have you ever thought about taking the curriculum? You know, it's like you keep running away from the course. <laughs> no, <laughs> Do what and, you and like, but you know, you know, you yeah. could try that too. I mean, you know, we're we're spoiled. It, it's. I'm not saying it's better to be, you know, sad than feel good, but there are times when to go into that sadness only brings you a depth of compassion mm. or a depth of understanding, and and for yourself too. You know, it's yes. it's like rather than thinking you need to feel good all the time, that it's okay to be depressed. I mean, if it gets, again, if it gets overwhelming or clinical, there's things to do. But I mean, I what I see is the, oppor- uh, the opportunity for all the work we've done with plants and people are doing is to be able to create practices for yourself. Like for me, the, the horse concerts, you know, no matter what kind of a day I've had or what's looming or, you know, I seem to have a lot of friends that are dying right now. Mm. No matter what's occurring that I can, without anything, find that space where I feel like I'm just a clear channel for 
source to to play through and connected to that in a way that you know everything i don't want to say it's all good i mean it is but and, and equanimity saying that, yeah, yeah yeah that you're you're kind of resting in the perfection of life even with death dying you know terrible things happening that it has to be okay even if it's from a perspective that we'll never understand that's it you know, that is it like resting in the imperfection and perfection or the perfection of of life of, of, of life of all that is you know yeah. and i think when you try to understand it like why does a young person die or you know even for me i spent so many years trying to understand why i have a body that's in pain you know i i will never know i can make up stories other people can make up stories but it's like okay this this is the curriculum or this is the what you've been dealt you do the best you can with that and try to find something bigger to rest in other than these little identities and little bodies and sets of sadnesses and traumas that we have and and for me you know that's the core of all this work and when people would come out here to journey the most important part for me was kind of the warm up work we would do to get to where where are you suffering or you know where do you feel you're not free and to be so specific about that in a way that you know you can work with it with the plants which are obviously very useful in that but then to be able to integrate it in a way that you know it's an ongoing set of practices that you do every day for the rest of your life they may change but it's something that brings you back to that without needing anything external and not to feel that those practices are necessarily like punitive sometimes people think of like oh it's these things i have i have to exercise or whatever it is yeah, uh, yeah. but and when you're saying like when you play the music it actually feels amazing like there are ma there's so many ways to go about this it's essentially forms of creativity really if you think about it at its yeah, core it, it's almost like forms of letting creation work through you exactly better put you know, what whatever what and and that's what i've been finding now you know dancing singing cooking um it's like probably when you talk to ivy all the research they're doing mm -hmm. you know on how beneficial art and poetry and oh, it's beauty. crazy some of the data they shared i can't where that podcast comes out I actually know because it's when their book comes out, March 21st. So, <laughs> Very cool. It's coming out soon. Well, and I think, you know, it's like we've known that all along. You know, creative yeah. people, mystics, it, it's known. I don't need yeah. scientific data to back, back up what we've already known to be true. But it's great that it is because it gives it credibility where, you know, it's like get your kid off his phone and put him out in nature for an hour. It's the greatest thing you can do or, you know buy art supplies for your kid or get them a musical instrument or, mm -hmm. you know, and I think those kind of practices, the integration, you know, like if you never did another journey, you've got music as a practice that takes you there, right? I mean, it does take you to that space. Most people don't have that, you know, and I think anyone can find practices and it doesn't have to be you know serious meditation for an hour it's like you know your life is the meditation your 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 life is the the art you know 
creativity, letting creation come through you, whether it's cooking, even the most, you know, things that you wouldn't think of as a creative act. You know, it's like, I just did my taxes and actually had an okay time with it because I got in that space, you know, and I was so happy that I was doing it and finished them, you know, so it, it's almost like there, there's so many structures that when you really examine them or, you know, created, like even meditation or sometimes can be such a rigid structure that you feel good if you do what you think you should do. And if you don't, you're hard on yourself or, you know, I didn't do my half hour of meditation today. Whereas just being in nature can be a meditation. Yeah, like all these, the, our practices are available at all times, everywhere in a lot of ways. It's what it's what choice and consciousness you bring to it. it you, that is the act of creation in itself. Uh, exactly. And yeah. I think, you know, it's not about, like even with art or music, it's not about what you produce. It's that you know, you yourself, your being is the offering. If you're going to make great music with that, that, that's awesome. But you have to get that even that's removed from the sort of what you're bringing to the party, which is yourself as the offering, your, mm. your being, your consciousness, what you're adding to the collective or the soup or, you know, the pot. The source code is you. Yeah. Oh, I love it, Lorraine. Um, so I have one last question for you, um, and then unfortunately I have to go. But I want to keep. I want to talk more another time. Let's just keep riffing. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, now we can do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's the question. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening here. Like I want to talk to Lorraine. And do you want more work <laughs> or not? Do you want people to find you because you don't have a website? And I think that's awesome. And so, but if you would like some people. Potentially, this is you know a small chance to say yes or no. Yeah, I mean, I I'm looking at what I, I like. I said I do a lot of work on the phone, so if anybody yeah. wants to email me, and other podcasts I've done, usually it's people who you know obviously resonate with what we're talking about. So it's not just like random people. Oh, of course, um, of course. And so I've been doing work on the phone, and I, I was so I I loved. You know, your ceremony concert opened doors for me in the sense of what can be done with groups. Because mm -hmm. the friends I brought to the concert weren't didn't do any plant medicine. Sure. You know, and had great experiences. And I ran into some people from, you know, my dance community that were there that weren't on any plant medicine. Yeah, that's the point. And, yeah. yeah. And I think we've opened the doors in ourselves and in all the people that have been doing it all these years that I'm really interested in finding ways to create, whether it's online or live, or, you know, when I work on the phone with people, it's still working with the same energy. And so, yeah, if people want to find me, I'm... Email. I'm That's what you prefer? Email is good. All right. We're going to yeah. do it. Um, I'll I'll make it where there's like a space for the at so spam bots won't grab it, but people can figure out how to make it into your email. If that, they want to reach great. out then to we'll you. We'll find something to do for sure. <laughs> cool. Oh yeah. man, it's great to great to connect. And like I said, I let's do it some more. And I look forward to whenever I whenever I can pass through there oh, yeah. again. We I actually when I was there, I met up with the ten thousand wave folks. I don't know if I told you. We've been talking yeah. about maybe trying to do something. So I think that'd be amazing. I love that. I yeah. really love that. And we can do a concert or something just out here. Hell yeah. And uh have a good time. 
the equine, the horses would love it. We'll sell tickets to all the horses in the area. Well, they just have to give us a ride. A horse convention. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. It's always great to talk to you. That's, uh... You too. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, till next time. Till next time. Thank you, Lorraine. Always so fun to chat. I always love uh, everything we can get into. This song that you're listening to in the background is called Reunited, and it's from the Burn album with Peter Broderick. And we just released uh, an entire four-hour live ceremony of music, uh, the one we did on the solstice. I remixed it, remastered it, and we recut it. And it's now on YouTube, and it's completely new music. It was all new improvised music designed to guide a ceremony. We did it in my studio, so it's like, it sounds great now. It sounds really good. It sounded fine before, but now it sounds fantastic. And we, uh, John Dahlgren did the shooting. A good friend Max was there doing the switching. So we put a lot of effort into that, and I think it looks great. It's a very intimate portrait into that sort of creation of music, which is just very rare. I think being in the home studio allowed, allowed us to just let it be intimate and let it be... Um, it's just, it just unusual to capture that kind of thing on film. So check it out. Uh, the Peter Broderick uh, and the East Forest Solstice Livestream Ceremonies on YouTube. Uh, but this song is called Reunited from Burren. And I hope you're enjoying that album. Uh, but until then, you guys keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. But if you do, do it with grace.